Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're also going to take a look at Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, which I don't think is listed in your uh, bulletin. And then Romans chapter 10, a couple of verses from that book of the Bible as well. And as you're turning there, I'll remind us that we are working our way through this fall a series on transforming principles for living in God's grace. And this has been a a joyful time for me, I know, to think about what it is that that I'm called to as an individual believer, what each of us is called to, and then also collectively what God is calling us to be committed to as a church family. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at the idea of faith in action, that that was certainly a core value for us as a church and individually. We talked about the idea of truth in teaching being shaped by God's Word and holding it up high as the source of truth in life. We talked just a week or so ago about this idea of connecting in community and the relationships we're invited and called to have with one another as believers. And then today we're going to talk about this idea of serving in mission. And it seemed like the verses here today that I've mentioned for us would be helpful for us in thinking about that. I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud uh, God's Word and you read along silently. We'll start with this Matthew 28 passage, really parting words of Jesus to his disciples in his earthly ministry. Verse 18 of chapter 28, Jesus came came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then flipping further in the New Testament to the book of Acts, just one verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where Jesus again is speaking to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then flipping one more time on further back to the book of Romans, just after the book of Acts. Romans chapter 10. The Apostle Paul is been explaining about how God's got to sovereignly work in people's lives to save them, but he's also reminding us of the beautiful role that we can have in seeing folks come to receive the gospel and come to salvation. Verse 8 of chapter 10 in Romans says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then listen to verse 14 and 15. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You may be seated and let me pray once again for us. Oh, Father, we pray for this particular time in your word that you'd strengthen and equip us through it for your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, several years back, the story hit the news about a woman going through the McDonald's drive through line might not be the story you're thinking of. This woman was coming along at about 8 in the morning and insisted to the little microphone as she placed her order that she be served chicken McNuggets. The sweet little girl running the line working for minimum wage at McDonald's responded and explained that she wouldn't be able to get McNuggets until about 11 o'clock in the morning when they started serving lunch. The woman got even more irate to the point to where the girl had to simply suggest that she pull on forward so that other people could get through the line. And indeed, she did pull on forward, pulled right up to the food delivery window. And she parked her car right next to it. And in her fury to get McNuggets at 8 a.m., she began to climb out of the window of her car and attempt to climb into the food delivery window of the McDonald's. Thankfully, some of the other employees came and rushed and seek to push her out. Others gathered outside trying to pull her out as she clung with a death grip to the food delivery window looking for her McNuggets. Well, to my disappointment I never did learn what kind of sauce it was that she wanted with them but this woman we'll call her the McNugget woman was on a mission wasn't she she was determined to get something to get something in this case for herself And believe it or not, there's a couple of lessons I think we can learn as we consider our passage and our theme today. Uh, Number one is just, hey, there's a lot of crazy people out there. Number one, we'll set that one aside. Number two is this, that all of us really are prone to have places in our life where we become consumed, our purpose focused on things of lower and lesser value, instead of being engaged with the vision, the mission, the calling that Jesus has for each one of us to be involved, to participate in seeing his kingdom built, his mission extended. If you want to look in your worship guide, there's a notes section. I think we can take away from these passages today at least one main theme. And that is that as we recognize Jesus' saving mission, we see what he's done for us, then we should be engaged to serve in mission. Now, before you sort of tune out because you're not planning to head to Botswana next week, 
and go there to be somebody that opens this book every day and talks and preaches in that way or even does some of the things that Laura mentioned earlier, before you sort of disconnect, let me remind us that one of the real heartbeats of the kingdom of God is for each one of us to live in mission. And so for us, living in mission looks like going to the Love Lady Center like a number of you did this summer and helping to redecorate a room for the women that are coming there that are struggling, many of them, with addiction issues and need the gospel to work more deeply in their lives. You're paving the way for God's mission to go forward. It looks like going to work in whatever calling God has given you day to day and seeking to really glorify God in the midst of that and shine the light of Christ in that fashion. It certainly looks like as well a number of weeks ago when we made our move over here to this facility and we filled out a number of cards, little commitment cards to pray for and invite people. And I was so encouraged. I thank you all for encouraging me as a pastor to see so many of you that wrote down some folks. And I I trust also invited and prayed for them. That's serving in mission. That's what we're talking about today. Now we, uh, of course, uh, if we were headed to Botswana, would want to be prepared for the challenges we face. We need to be prepared for the challenges we face, too, to our living missionally right here, most of us in the Birmingham area. And one of those is that we may just not be aware. We've never really heard some of these verses before. It's a new concept to us that Jesus not only came in to save us and rescue us individually from our sin and maybe connect us to other believers, but he's actually inviting us, calling us, commanding us to be a part of a, a, a global work and a local work of seeing his mission fulfilled of the gospel going forth. So it might be news to us. That might be a struggle. Or we might know about it. And if you're like me and just you know look at yourself in the mirror from time to time and are honest with yourself, you say, I'm aware of this huge thing that God is doing, but I really don't care that much about it today. Maybe we're in the place where we know about it and we care about it, but we've been discouraged by the roadblocks we've hit. You invited some of those folks you put down on the card, or you wanted to get to the Love Lady Center to help out, or you want to glorify God in your workplace, but there's some real hurdles you hit, and there's some struggles to get through, and it's discouraging. I think it's so important for us today to recognize, first off, that Jesus was a person in mission. And any missional thought in our lives flows out of his mission. Think about it in a couple of ways with me today. First of all, we, we shouldn't miss the fact that Jesus came into the world for a purpose. He was deployed. He was sent to come do something. So he's a missional being, and that was to redeem us, to save us. And so we see today that really we're the fruit of his mission. If you're sitting here today and your life has been touched by Jesus, you are an expression of the mission that he had. I don't know if you ever think about it that way, but he was missional, and we're the fruit of that sitting here today. Another thing that we see about Jesus is that his mission is amazing. 
We're just a couple of months away from the Christmas season. Remember how people reacted when Jesus came into the world? You know, ho-hum. No, angels came and praised. People came from halfway across the globe. He hadn't even done anything yet except for appear. And already folks were amazed. And his mission is amazing right in our own midst as well. I had the chance a couple of years ago to hear at a missions conference an interesting story about a guy who was from Iran, as I recall. And he was from a Muslim background, being from that country. And he had gone, he was actually in a more rigid form of that Muslim faith too, not just a secular sort of perspective of it or nominal, but he he really was uh, an adherent of, of Islam. And he came to a college campus setting where he was studying, and there was only one sort of Christian group on the, the campus in, in, that, in that land, in Iran. And, and so he went by and had kind of been given instructions to take and receive the Bibles that were being handed out so that he could take it with him and see that it would get destroyed. And guess what he ended up doing with the Bible? He picked it up and started reading it. And he came to faith in Christ through that. I thought that was amazing. Here he was in his mind. He was bent on turning this message back, but then it penetrated into his heart and life. And really, the story's amazing for each one of us. I hope we're having a chance in in our life groups and maybe our small group studies or just over a meal with one another to share the story that each one of us has. Whatever it is, you may feel like, oh, it's not that dramatic. But any story of God touching a life and changing and redeeming us is dramatic. And so it's amazing, Jesus' mission in the world. And the last thing by way of introduction and thinking about recognizing the glory, the beauty of Jesus' mission is that that mission is continuing. Our verses for today in a couple of different places highlighted that. Our Matthew 28 passage, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm not just sending you out. I'm with you. I've got power. And then he goes on at the end. He says, surely I'll be with you until the end of the age. Our Acts chapter 1 passage, same thing. He's telling, calling them to live missionally. And what does he say? He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus is living missionally. It's not just stuff he did in the past or accomplished in the past, but he's doing it right now. He's sustaining us in this way. And I think about it again for areas we need encouragement. I know I've probably rattled off these stats before in the past, but they're always intriguing to me because in the, in the West, in Europe, and in North America, right now in our time, God could change it in the snap of, of a fingers. But right now it seems some of the influence of the gospel and some of the influence of Christianity is receding in certain ways, although I think we can see ways that it's spreading also. But it seems that way, and, and, and it's easy to forget that around the world things are not the same. You know, if you look at some figures from all the way back around the year 100, folks have done estimates you had maybe 180 or so million people in the whole world. Isn't that something to think about? Half the American population, that was the whole world. That's who was there. And about 500,000 or so, you know, 70 years after Jesus coming in, they estimate, would have been believers at that time. 
That's like one in 360. It's not very high percentage if you think about it. Zoom on up to the year 1900, which is maybe the next time that they were able to get some accurate figures for some of this. The year 1900, there were 40 million Christians in the world and about 1.6 billion people living on the globe. That's one in 40. 1982, about one in 16 folks in the world claimed the name of Christ. And then in 2004, and this was just looking at people who were evangelical Christians, not not just anybody who names the name of Christ, but specifically those who really uh, hold to the Bible as God's truth and to this need for personal salvation. In 2004, 6.4 billion people in the world, 670 million claimed to be that sort of evangelical Christian. That's one in nine. I just want to make sure we have that in our mind, that story. There's so lots of people that need to be reached, but God is advancing his mission. He hasn't abandoned it. He's walking with us in it. So we recognize Jesus' saving mission. That leads us to at least two things that we've summarized in this core value. One is the idea of serving. That there's a call to step out of ourselves and engage with something bigger and beyond ourselves. That that's not only good for us, but it's glorifying and pleasing to God. You don't need to turn there, but Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, his disciples are in kind of a McNugget mode, right? They're saying, who gets to be in first place in your kingdom, Jesus? They just want, they want it, and they want it now for themselves. And Jesus responds to that mentality and says to them that he didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He anchors this idea of our service in the fact that he's come into the world and he calls us to lift our eyes and look beyond ourselves for his glory and also for our good. So there's a challenge for us in our passage today and our passages to consider where is it in my life that I am uh, expending out for the kingdom of God in whatever way God's called us to? We're going to talk about a a few specifics at the end of our message here. So think about that. And as you do, let's think about the other part of this, the idea that we're called to serve in mission. In mission. We see it in our passage here again. If you want to turn really to the Romans passage would be the best place that we read just a minute ago. We also, of course, see it in Matthew 28, crystal clear. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command. That's a call to to be in mission, to be accomplishing something in the world for Jesus. Romans 10 talks about it this way. It's, it's describing the fact that really coming to faith in Christ is actually pretty simple. It's, comple- it's complex and demanding in the sense that our heart's got to be broken, we've got to be humbled, we've got to see our need for a Redeemer. But it's actually simple in terms of what you do to come to salvation. He's saying you confess with your mouth so you... Uh, speak in some way, declare in some way, hopefully uh, formally before the church to, to proclaim your readiness to join the church in that way, but you profess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. And it's just a reminder of, of, of that simplicity of the gospel, that the message doesn't need to be too complex for us. One of the things we all probably feel in trying to live missionally is that I don't know how to communicate this. 
You talk about trying to invite somebody out at work or whatever and go get to know them and ask about their spiritual background. I don't really know how to communicate that, Pastor. That's a tough thing for me to do. And maybe it's a stretch. Maybe you're more likely to invite somebody to church or just show them an act of love to kind of serve them. But at some point, Paul's reminding us there's got to be a message. There's got to be something communicated because that's the mechanism through which we come to salvation. Got to believe, receive the message, and profess it. And then he goes on and he, he uses this word preach in that verse 14 and 15. And it, it's a little bit confusing because you all are sitting out there and thinking, well, that's what you do, pastor. You, you preach. That's what you're doing right now. But the word preach here really just means proclaim or declare or share verbally. That's the idea. And so when the apostle Paul says, hey, how are folks going to hear without somebody being sent? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I hope it encourages us that any way that we engage in the mission of God is an opportunity to really display beauty of what God is doing in our lives. It's a beautiful thing for us to participate in. I love the uh, churches, and maybe we need to, to, to get, get something. The trailer guys would love for me to put another thing in the trailer, I'm sure. But a, a banner that you have at some of those churches or a sign when you're going out the door, maybe you visited another place, and it, it says, now entering the mission field. You know, maybe they have it in their parking lot sign on the back of the display that faces out to the road. They've got on the back of it, now entering the mission field. And I always love that because we all need that reminder, don't we? that we're all participants in God's mission work to the world. Well, as we think about all of this, one of the things that's going to creep on in, even in the ways that I've tried to paint that we can each participate in this without going to Botswana or even without selling everything we own, we're still going to be intimidated by it. We're going to say, I, I don't know how to even get started with that. I, don't, I hear some of what you're saying, but I'm not sure how to engage with it. And so I think one of the things we're each going to need in this is really prayer. Because prayer is where that power Jesus talked about comes from. And I thought it was interesting in preparing for this week, I found a, what apparently is a well-known missionary prayer. And it was intriguing to me because it's geared towards sort of world missions on the surface, but I thought it was fascinating how if you just change one phrase, it applied so directly to what it ought to mean for each one of us to live and serve in the kingdom. So listen to this prayer as I read it to you. Jesus, Lord, please hear my prayer. As I serve thee, and it says here far from home, but let's change it for today. As I serve them far or near from home, make me willing no matter where to make thy great love known. Let me have a soul aflame kindled by thy altar's fire, living only for thy name, obeying, Lord, all thy desire. May I in thy love abide and on thy bosom rest and all my self-love crucified that thou be manifest. May I seek an eternal crown, fix my gaze on heaven's shore, nothing earthly weighing down my zeal for thee anymore. Here I give my wounded heart, my sinful self bowed at your feet. You know my every lacking part. Mold me, make my life 
complete. And then the last stanza, I guess. And as I struggle on my way, may thy grace shine down on me. Lord, please use me anyway as I live and work for thee. That's a bold prayer. But that's a prayer we can probably all be praying. I guess I need to put it in the worship guide maybe next week and you all can have it with your email it out. But that's what it means to serve in the kingdom. I mean, it's a great thing for folks to jump in on our missions committee. I'm thankful some new folks are involved with that. It's wonderful to start up a neighborhood Bible club or maybe just invite the neighborhood kid over to sit with your family and see you pray before a dinner meal. It's a great thing to play in a community concert for the glory of God. It's a great thing, young people, for you all when you're playing sports or doing things in school to remind those around you, remind yourself that it's not just about the grade and it's not just about the win, but it's about glorifying God. You can serve maybe on a set-up team. Maybe, as I said, invite somebody out to lunch. Those are all ways we can participate. And certainly you say, well, Pastor, you're talking about missions. I know we give and support folks that are in the mission field. Absolutely. It means for us as a church saying we want to participate in that way as well. That part of serving is we give up some of the means we have here, the resources, so that we can see the kingdom go forth. I was so encouraged again, and I hope you were a few weeks ago, where we were you know, running behind on what we needed for our missions fund to support our missionaries, the 10 folks that we really committed to be behind. And we let you all know as a congregation about that. And God worked in people's hearts. It wasn't just one person. It was a number of people to bring in that $9,000 that we needed to be there. And I think about that area in particular, especially as we have in about a month, we're going to have that time of turning in our pledge commitments and we invite the church family to put in that general fund commitment and then also a separate missions fund commitment. What an amazing thing it would be that we took that kind of momentum that we saw a couple weeks ago and with 60 or so families in the church now, if each family looked at saying, God, how, how would you enable us to adjust our world to serve and give $1,000 to missions. That might be a huge stretch for some. Maybe some are already given beyond that. What would you be able to do? We'd blow right past that $45,000 we have got listed in the budget. We'd have $60,000 to support folks that are on the mission field, the berries that we've been involved with but we've not yet been able to engage with support-wise, or the local church planners, Rick Hutchinson or Wayne Shelton, who are about to be doing good works here in town or already doing good works. And all of that is only going to come about through this idea of prayer. Through God really changing our hearts and captivating us by the gospel. And that's the only way people's lives are going to be changed and receive Christ. Because we can support missionaries, but those missionaries, then God's got to work so that the lives they're touching come to a place of receiving him. And so that's where this prayer thing comes in. And I'll conclude with this story to try to help bring home for us the importance of it. You may be familiar with the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. He had preached in various places all over the world and, of course, preached all over America. And as he preached over the years, people constantly encouraged him to go to England. 
and to preach to the students at Cambridge and Oxford. They said, you need to go. There's a need for the gospel there. There's an intellectual crowd there, but many of them are not believing the gospel. Would you go and preach? We've seen so much success in these other contexts. Why don't we go there? Moody always declined, in part because he was a man of very limited education, formally. People said his letters you could barely write because there was or barely read because there was almost no punctuation or even form to them. And yet God had enabled him to be a gifted communicator of the gospel. Well, finally he decided to go. And he goes over to Cambridge and they begin the work there. And he brings with him his uh, music leader that had been with him for years and years. Ira Sankey was his name. And every now and then you'll see a song probably in the hymnal written by him. And he took him with over to England and began to gather together. And they usually did a week-long campaign and they had an auditorium, maybe not you know, unlike this, although perhaps nicer at Cambridge. And they had stairs, metal stairs, going up the side of it to a room that was kind of above where the speaker was. And that was where folks, uh, they had instructed them if they wanted to receive the message of Christ and, and believe in that and meet with somebody to pray about that, then they could go up those stairs. Well, they started their campaign the first day of the week, and a number of students were gathered, but it turned out most of them were gathered for uh, auspicious purposes. As Sankey got up and began the first song, there were so many people heckling him and deriding him that although he had done this in numerous contexts over years and years, he began to cry and sat down and stopped before he even finished leading the first song. Then Moody gets up. Moody is so derided and heckled that he only gets about 10 minutes through his message and then stops without even giving his sort of signature call or invitation for people to receive salvation. Well, they met that night, the two evangelists, Sankey and Moody, and they decided on a plan that they felt God was leading them to, although it was a strange one. They decided to go to the household moms in the neighborhood around Cambridge, not in the wealthy area, but in the very lower parts of English society. Maybe moms that were serving as nannies or just home taking care of their kids while the husband was working some sort of industrial job. Very simple people. They really had no connection to these folks from Cambridge, even maybe a great distance. But they asked these moms to pray and to ask that God would do a work in the lives of these elites these upper crusts that were at Cambridge. And the week went on. And nothing changed on Tuesday, and nothing changed on Wednesday, and nothing changed on Thursday, and then Friday came. And Moody was able to deliver his full message finally that night. And even though they'd been discouraged the whole week, he bowed his head and began to pray. And then after a moment, out of the corner of his eye, began to walk. Not just any person, but the the ringleader of the hecklers coming forward and descending up those metal steps and behind him followed many others. And it was, in fact, the beginning of many students on those campuses in England engaging and going worldwide to the call of missions. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do pray now 
We pray for the place wherever each one of us is in our heart. I know, Lord, I've been uh, apathetic, as I said earlier, about some of these things of your kingdom. Been discouraged rather than encouraged. And, Lord, I pray that you would work in each one of our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us this challenge to serve in mission because we know that it's an outworking of the fact that our lives have been bought by a price. By the Lord Jesus working missionally to come into the world. Lord, help that to be transformational for us. As we seek and pray and ask for whatever way you would engage us to be people in mission. And not just a church with missions. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.